Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles. Genesis chapter 42, a new chapter in our Bible study through the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 42. And listen, the title is very important. I've entitled our Bible study, Your Sin Will Find You Out. It's a very important biblical principle. As we follow the life of Joseph, we see that his life is clearly in the hands of God, even though he doesn't get to enjoy his family. He's been separated from his family because of the favoritism of his dad and then the favoritism of his mom and dad and then the difficulty of his siblings. He's been separated from his family for a long time. And it's good to be reminded today that it's not the heart of God to see families separated and fractured as they are today so many times. The family is the very place that God has designed to build up strong believers and disciple children in the ways of the Lord. And yet sin and pride and rebellious hearts have caused family after family to crumble and disintegrate. And that may describe your family today, and I'm sorry. It's very hard to live with. It's hard to see what God intended for our good to be used in such a way to bring pain and difficulty and trauma. Joseph was born into a broken family. And I believe one of the messages we learned today is Joseph was born into a broken family and God used him still. He was born into difficult circumstances and yet God was able to take him and raise him above those circumstances. Don't ever misunderstand though, the situation was still filled with pain, still filled with hardship, still filled with loneliness, still filled with perhaps questions and wonderings. But Joseph was born into a family with multiple moms, an absent dad, filled with hatred, jealousy, corruption, wicked sexual sin. The cards were stacked against him. He sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, imprisoned, and yet God elevated him. And now he is second in command in Egypt. And yet he's still without his family. And he's still without those that he loves. But we also now see God using another difficulty to connect his family, a famine. Notice with me in verse one of chapter 42, it says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. A great famine has hit the land and the brothers are there standing around looking at each other, not knowing what to do. God, he speaks to Jacob. Jacob gives direction as the dad that he is. And God moves through this worldwide famine to move the heart of Jacob. And that's how often God will move in our lives. He'll use circumstances and difficulties to get our attention, a layoff at work, a unexpected bill, a broken toilet, a flat tire, a dead battery, an argument, a tragedy, the list is unending. 
but they change our direction and move our mind to new thoughts. Now, let me just say, I wish I was better at these things. I wish I was better at some of these minor inconveniences is what they become. They're not a worldwide famine. But driving in Newark, New Jersey is no minor inconvenience. And something that I value and is important to me is being on time. Not just being on time, but for me, being on time is early, 15 minutes. So I'm headed to this rehearsal dinner or rehearsal. It was actually the rehearsal first and then the dinner. And we're driving in and we leave with enough time and everything. But for some reason, the people in New Jersey, when they build highways, they put a, a curb down the middle of them, a literal concrete curb. On the left-hand side, they call that the express. And it will get you to the airport with no stops and no, no off-ramps. If you want any off-ramps, you need to be on the right-hand side. And you say, Ed, I don't really care. Well, I didn't either until I needed to be on the right-hand side. And I watched the exit passed me by and I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do? And I'm getting all stressed out about it. And Marie's all stressed out, but not as much as I am because she's trying to calm me down. The only reason she's all, well, I don't want to say, is Marie, hi Marie, how are you? You weren't, you weren't as stressed out as me, but I was raising the stress level in the car and the water was raising a little bit. And she's like, oh, and then she's going to, because I told her I already have Siri. I don't need your voice telling me how to drive too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't use those exact words, but something along those lines. So I didn't have her help, and I missed the off-ramp, and we took us all the way to the airport. You have to go all the way to the airport, and I'll come all the way back and come all the way through, and then there's traffic and on and on and on. But you know, the Lord was bringing those circumstances about to humble me, humble me before my wife, humble me before the Lord, humble me to, I, I don't like getting a phone call. Hey, where are you? And I'm on the phone, and you know how it sounds in your car. And I'm like, oh, no, and he thought I was joking. And I'm like, yeah, it says I'm going to be there in a half hour or whatever. And he just click. And they're all waiting for me when I walk in. And I'm humble before the wedding party and circumstances. Do you guys ever have circumstances? <laughs> I wish I was better at them. Some I'm very well. I mean, some I pass the test and others, the Lord reminds me of the unexpected. Because our basic human tendency or in that little illustration I share with you is, hey, I know where I'm going. I checked the map. I checked the time. I know I left enough margin to get there, but I, the Siri and the maps didn't tell me there's a stinking curb in the middle of the highway. And I didn't find that out until afterwards. And things you can't prepare for. Our basic human tendency is to get so comfortable, so at ease. Perhaps you could describe it so at self-centered such a routine in life, like Jacob here. I know it doesn't seem like much, but what was Jacob used to? Eating, eating when he wanted to, food for the animals, waking up, some of the things that we get upset about, he was used to. Wake up, take a shower, brush my teeth, go to work, be upset, come home, you know, take a shower, go to bed. The things that we begin to despise until you don't have that job anymore and all. Oh, now, how am I going to pay the bills? And what am I going to do next? And what, what does the Lord have for us? And of course, this is a little more serious than a drive in Newark, New Jersey, but God is always allowing things 
to stir up our comfort. You can jot it down in Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 11, it says, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He settled on his dregs and he hasn't been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remains in him and his scent has not changed. We can be like Moab at times. We just settle down. We're not being poured from vessel to vessel to take away the impurities of the refining process, in this case of making wine, not having that vulnerability of being poured from vessel to vessel. And so God will use these circumstances to get our attention. We learned last time in chapter 41 in verse seven that this was a worldwide famine. It was a severe time. It covered the whole known world. And that really touched my heart. It really touched my heart as I was studying because God is moving on the face of the earth today, not just Aurora. Aurora is important to us, but God is working in Denver. He's working in Bennett. He's working in Fort Collins. He's working in towns we don't even know about, haven't even seen yet. He's working in Thailand and in Romania. He's working in Uganda and Mexico and Peru. And it ministered to my heart as I was reviewing the notes, thinking, man, I'm so blessed to be a part of a church that's not just some corner church, that has no vision for the lost, that has no willingness to invest their time, their talents, their treasures to what matters. That we're not part of a church that's just interested in keeping the status quo, but really wanting to step out and try things. And what Pastor Chuck would have used to teach us, and we've made our own, that we would take ventures of faith and we would lay it all on the line and allow God to do something fresh and new, even in the face of failure and learning from our failure. And we see so many saved. We need to be careful because the cares of today, the cares of Aurora can easily take our attention off the world. But then so can the world take our attention off Aurora, right? It is the, the pattern of ministries we'll be reminded this weekend is Acts chapter one, verse eight. You wanna be faithful, Jerusalem, home base, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. God's desire is for all of it, not just part of it. And we'll look at that a little bit deeper this weekend. Verse three. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt and Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers for he said, lest some calamity befall him. You know, it's a 250 mile journey or so. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who sojourned for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And even though out of desperation and out of great personal need, they're still exercising faith here. Jacob says, he says that he heard. It says in verse two, I have heard. He doesn't know, he just heard. And it moved him to action. It moved him. He didn't have absolute truth and facts on this that we know of, he heard. And on, that heard, on, that, on what he heard, he stepped out in faith. It reminded me of Romans Chapter 10 and verse 17, remember faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Anytime you open the Bible, it's gonna stir up faith in you. It's gonna stir up faith in what you're going through. It's gonna stir up faith in loving others. It's gonna stir up faith in your abiding. It's, it's gonna stir up faith. That's where faith grows. You hear a promise of God, a truth of God, and you act upon it. And when you act upon it, then your faith is even built up more where you learn that faith without works is dead. 
And so faith with works is what? Alive. (laughs) It's alive. And God is continuing to grow us through that life. Jacob, though, in verse 4, still has a big problem. He hasn't learned his lesson yet. He still has this sense of favoritism. He still has a new favorite son now, Benjamin, the only other son born to Rachel, Jacob's one true love. And in some ways, God is still dealing with him on this, still going deep. It was almost almost like dad was saying here, you guys go, who cares if anything happens to you, but don't take Benjamin because I don't want him hurt. Same old thing, same old reason. Verse six, now Joseph was governor over all the land. And again, don't we just read over that? I was gonna read over it right to verse eight, but let's not read over it so quickly. Where is Joseph? Is he in the pit? Say it with me. Is he in prison? Is he in the palace? How? By the will of God. If we were earlier, earlier chapters, and we said, hey, is is Joseph in the pit? We would have to say, yes. And then I would say, by the will of God? And then we'd be like, yes. And oh, by the way, was Joseph in prison? In that section of scripture, you'd have to say, yes. By the will of God? I guess. You know, was he forgotten in prison? And then we were in that seven, yes. By the will of God? (sighs) Stop it, pastor. But you see how quick it is. Yes, he's in the palace. And he is. And it's okay to celebrate that. (laughs) It's okay. At the same time, realize it's all the will of God. Easy to say for Joseph, but it's true for us too, isn't it? It's all the will of God. We may not understand why, and we may not understand when, and we, we may not, it may not be revealed to us for years why we went through what we went through, but it's by the will of God. I've been doing a lot of thinking on this uh, for the last many years now, but having to redefine biblically what failure really is. Is failure taking a step of faith and it not working out the way you wanted? Well, some people call it that, but I think failure would be not doing it at all, (laughs) not being faithful. That's failure. But maybe God would lead you to a place where you can learn or lead you to a decision or lead you to a situation or like so that you would fail. Certainly allowing circumstances so you find yourself in a position, even using your own behavior, the behavior of your dad or something along the lines like, hey man, look, Joseph's in all these situations, but it's all by the will of God. But this is a turn of, a turn of events. This is an amazing turn of events. He is now governor, verse six. And it was he who sold all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. What an emotional moment that must have been. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. That makes sense. He was a very young kid when they threw him into the pit. Years have passed. He's unrecognizable. And on top of that, he is dressed like an Egyptian. He's living the Egyptian life. Uh, He does not look like a son of Jacob in that outward appearance. And can you imagine what is going through his mind right now? Here he is in his late 30s. And they're his brothers, he, haven't, he hasn't seen them for years on top of everything that they did. 
and he speaks roughly to them, verse seven. You're like, why? Perhaps it's a test. Seeing how they respond. He remembers their attitudes and their jealousy. And we'll see throughout the study that he's gonna be testing them a lot. God is gonna use them, use Joseph for these tests in their life. Notice verse nine. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come here to buy food. We are all one man's son. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. And the dreams, this is what got him in trouble. The dreams, it wasn't the dreams that got him in trouble. It was how he delivered the interpretation and how he shared. But again, he's a kid. He doesn't know. He's sharing them the way they received, but they would, his family was offended by them. And through the offense, he paid the price for their offense. But they're coming true. If they only knew, even as his dreams were one of the reasons they hated him so much, but it was those dreams that are coming true right in there. Remember in Genesis 37, just by way of review, they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. And now we fast forward to chapter 42 and look, the dreamer's in control and you're coming to him. The Lord has a way of turning things around. I was just listening to this week, uh, either yesterday or the day before, Pastor Chuck talking about, Pastor Chuck Smith talking about uh, defending yourself. Defending yourself when accusations come and things come and you just have that tendency to want to defend yourself. And he said, and we've adopted it pretty much. I've tried to adopt it as much as I can. I, I, I want to choose not to defend myself, but allow the Lord to be my defender. But God will say, if you want to do it, you can. But I make a poor defender compared to the resources of God. I just keep my mind and my eyes on my character and my integrity. Let the Lord take care of the rest. And here, Joseph, perhaps even by choice, doesn't have a chance to defend himself. But God, he does defend him. And he's standing there and accusing them of spies and drawing out. Even in verse 10, notice, they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy, to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. And your servants are not spies. Verse 11, I just... Again, you read too quickly here. I just want you to see at this stage in their life, after all they've been through, they're still dishonest men. They're not honest men. They might be trying to describe this one little event, but they're not honest men. They're liars. And they've lived with a lie for many years, a very difficult, deep, horrific lie that perpetrated within their family. Verse 12, but he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers. One man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and, no, and one is no more. Mm. They didn't forget about Joseph, did they? Not one minute of one day, of one week, of one month, did they forget what they did to Joseph. They learned to live with it. They learned to dismiss it. They learned how to cope with their own sin, but they haven't forgotten it. Now, that's just the consequences of sin, man. It burrows so deep. In the back of their minds, they have not forgotten about Joseph, talking about the one that was no more. 
And at this point, Joseph is leading them along, bringing out information to them, spiking their con- conscience. I don't know how much Joseph knows exactly what he's doing, but as we look back, we can see it a little clearer. Joseph is not merely toying with them, but drawing them to a deeper revelation of the situation at hand, prepping them. Well, we know at the end in Genesis 50, that deliverance speech, that, that declaration of love, that forgiveness that's extended. He's very careful and very precise to dig deeper to an open wound that's been closed and covered for many years. Verse 14, Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Verse 16, send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there's any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Now he really wants to see his little brother. He really wants to test and draw out their faith and their commitment and the reality of the situation. And he gives them a few days to think about it in prison, verse 18. Then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, Let one of the brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. Bring your youngest brother to me so that your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them for he spoke to them through an interpreter and he turned himself away from them and wept. And he returned to them again and talked with them and he took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. Joseph has a plan. Leave one in prison, take some grain back to your dad. And by the way, bring back your youngest brother. And the plot gets thicker because for 20 years of an anguished heart, of a guilty conscience, of a tortured mind, it all comes back to them. They've tried to forget it. They've tried to cover it up. They've tried. And so they start arguing in Hebrew before the Egyptian, not expecting the Egyptian to understand what they're saying. But oh, what a surprise. He knows their language and he knows exactly what the Lord, I mean, what they're saying in their own language and he knows what they're thinking. Joseph understood every word. And you have to love Reuben here. He jumps in in the argument. I told you guys, but his blood is required of us. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, let me read it to you. It says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And this is the lesson for us before we get to the rest of the text. This is the lesson. You ready? Your sin will find you out. It may take weeks or it may take months or it may take years, but your sin will find you out. You can't cover it up and you can't dismiss it. 
You can't pretend. You can't get away with it. They thought it was dealt with and taken care of. And in an instant of time, a global calamity hits Canaan and moves them to another place. And as they move into that place, God reveals the situation for what it is. I want you to mark this in your Bibles. Turn over to Numbers uh, chapter 32 and verse 23. I wanna be careful to be honest to the text because sometimes this passage is misinterpreted as if God is chasing you so that he can reveal your sin and he's gonna catch up to you and you're running and you're getting away with it and you're hiding. That's not what the text says. It's not what God says. You see, God doesn't need to chase you down. He doesn't need to go through your closets. He doesn't need to flip through your phone or check what you've been deleted or your last phone that you threw. He doesn't need any of that. God knows already. He's not human that he has to find things out. No, what happens is, is that your sin finds you out. It's constant and continual. Numbers 32, notice verse 23. Numbers 32 and verse 23. The warning is, if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. All that's hidden, all that's behind closed doors, all that you think we've got, you've gotten away with. And it's always a tragic mistake to think that we can sin against God and get away with it. God, he's faithful to send the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of sin. And he's faithful to send men and women like Nathan to declare some hidden sin. And God is faithful to open up his word. And as you're reading the word, you go, oh my, that's me. I need to come back to the Lord. But for those that run away and those that want to hide, those that want to pretend it hasn't happened, or maybe, and we've seen this many times, where a couple will come in and there's sin in the past and the offending party, they were counseled at another church, don't you ever tell anybody, don't you ever tell anybody. And they come up after service and they're all jacked up and you can see it, they're carrying the weight of unconfessed sin, they're carrying the weight. And I'm like, bro, you've got to confess that. And they go, oh no, I can't, you don't understand. It'll just destroy everything. And I'm like, well, what are you living with now in a lie? What do you think is gonna be, what's being destroyed is the lie life of lies that you're living, which is far worse than the original sin. We learned this in our church many years ago after going through some real great difficulties. We became, it became a part of our lives, a part, a banner scripture that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin. We have to walk in the light and allowing God to reveal what is necessary. Look, look this, is, this is a situation where they're not gonna get away with it. But I want you to notice something being revealed like that is not for the sake of their destruction, it's for the sake of their restoration. God wants to redeem from sin. God wants to repair from sin. God wants to forgive you of your sin. It's your hiding it. Sin upon sin is what's destroying you. Sin upon sin. Be sure of this, nothing is hidden before God. And why are they bringing it up now? What did Joseph say exactly? Why are they bringing it up now? They just came for grain, we're hungry. Well, they're bringing it up now because they took it with them everywhere they went. How could they not? Talking about another favorite of dad. 
And they remember what they did to the first day favorite of dad. And how could they not? They knew in their hearts that God was bringing it to the surface. And they agreed together that they were truly guilty. And I don't want God in my life. I don't want God to have to deal so deeply in my heart to bring about the wickedness in my heart 15 years from now. I want to stay moldable and I want to be shaped by the spirit of God. I want my sins, I don't want my sins and mistakes to stack up relationally, in my marriage, with my kids, in the church. I don't want them to stack up and stack up and stack up before you know it, I'm destroyed. And so what do we pray? And you need to pray this openly. You need to mean it. In Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And then see if there's any wicked way in me so that you can lead me in the way of everlasting. You know, the Holy Spirit soap that cleanses away is that scripture in 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They're having to deal with this now. Pick up with me in verse 25. Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. And he said, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. And then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? They picked that up to, by their, they picked that phrase up blaming God from their dad. They picked that up from their dad, unfortunately. What has God done to us? Joseph, he puts their money in. Normally, uh, unbelievers would be pretty excited about this. <laughs> so I got all my groceries and my money too. It's the believer that goes back and says, I'm sorry, you mischarged me. I'm sorry, your cred my credit card didn't go through. It's those of noble character, integrity, a majority of them being believers, not unbelievers. They, they spent $1,000 on something and they're walking away in the $1,000. Well, oh, too bad, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And even in that statement, they are acknowledging that because of their actions, somebody's losing and they're happy about it. And so they're not in this place because they have a guilty conscience. And their guilty conscience, joy and pleasure are soon turned into discouragement and fear and even misery because guilt can have and ruin a person's outlook because she knows and he knows that he's done wrong and is just waiting to be caught and just waiting for it to come out. And the only way to get beyond that feeling is to harden your heart, which makes an even more miserable person, person hard-hearted. And then on top of that, if they're a believer with a hardened heart, such misery. If you don't handle your guilt correctly, church, by properly confessing and receiving forgiveness, you can end up very depressed. Corey ten, ten Boom put it this way, and I quote, the purpose of being guilty is to bring us to Jesus. Once we are there, then its purpose is finished. If we continue to make ourselves guilty, to blame ourselves, then that is sin in and of itself. God uses guilt to get us to him. 
so we confess it and forsake it and move on. Well, Simeon's in jail, verse 29. They went, and, they went to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened, saying, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of your father. One is no more and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country said to us, by this I'll know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and be gone. Bring your youngest brother to me so that I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men and I will deliver your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Then it happened, verse 35, as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each men's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. Jacob, their father said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now they want to take Benjamin away. And here, where did they learn? Where did the boys learn this from? In their house. All these things are against me, which couldn't be farther from the truth. This couldn't be more untrue because the facts are all these things are for you, Jacob. Every single one of them. And that's how we see life sometimes. We're so wrapped up in emotion and circumstances and difficulties that we fail to see the faithfulness of God. And we turn to, you know, hey, all of this is against me. No, Jacob, it's not. It's not against you. It's for you but he's also devastated, emotional, sorting things through. You remember Jacob's name was changed to Israel and you see his name interchanged many times, not every time. When he's revealed in the scriptures as Jacob, he's usually reflective of the fleshly side. Not Israel, the one governed by God, the one that was broken by God, the one that surrendered Israel. No, here he's Jacob, still trying to figure it all out. And he's come to the wrong conclusion, worried about himself. Everything is against me. Well, I thought you were getting food for your family. I thought you were trying to take care of your family, Jacob. But when it comes down to it, it's all about you. And it's very untrue. If he would only see with the eyes of faith, the loss of Joseph, his messed up kids, the famine, the money, and sending of Benjamin, they're all for him to help protect him and bless him. He's begun a good work, as Paul said, remember in Philippians chapter one, that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens along the way, I realize this is challenging because these situations are very hard and very difficult. And they, whatever your personality is, it gets inflamed to be above faith, to be above trusting God. And yet God still remains faithful. He hasn't forgotten you. He's working it out putting it together, making you the man, making you the woman that he wants you to be. Well, in verse 37, Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons. That's a great solution, Reuben. If I don't bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. See what, they're just all messed up. Because when you're messed up, you come up with dumb ideas. This is just dumb. I mean, it could be hyperbole, of course, he could be exaggerating, but it's just dumb. Yeah, kill my kids if I don't, no, stop it. Why isn't Jacob going, you know what? I need to get away. I need to seek the Lord. I need, I, even if I have to wrestle with him and he jacks my other hip up, I need the Lord. But he just lets it go. It's like, ah, oh, 
And he said, my son shall not go down with you, verse 38, for his brother is dead and he's left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. I understand that actually, that last part. I understand it very well. After my son passed away, one of the greatest fears was something would happen to my other kids. And then I'd start seeing your kids and your babies and there was just this attack on the mind of, it hurts. I get that. I can understand that. It's a deep fear and concern. He's also not taking God into account. I can relate to that as well. He's not walking in faith here. And I don't mean super, you know, Christian cliche faith, just trusting the Lord, just taking it to the Lord, just leading his family. Initially, Jacob does refuse. He does harden his heart. My son will not go, but we see things change. We see God continuing to do that work. And God is just revealing to us in this chapter, his great love for us, even in how messed up we are, how upside down. If you meet him, if you respond to him, you come to him, you confess your sin to him, he's ready to work in your life. He's ready to rework in your life. He's ready to restore in your life. He's ready to redo things. He's ready to help you overcome if you'll come to him the right way. You see, you can't come to God on your own terms. You can't work a deal and come to God with that deal. The only way that you and I can come to God the Father is through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. There is no other way. You can make up ways and we have seen many false religions and cults and you can come up with your own theologies, but God is not asking you to follow a theology. He's calling you to himself. He's not asking you to identify by the church you go to. He's calling you to your, himself. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to surrender your life to him personally. He wants so much for you that even how far you and I have come to this point, you haven't even scratched the surface of the work that God is doing in your life. I mean, imagine that you go, but Ed, I've come so far and it's just a scratch, man. It's just a small part. It's just like a speck of all that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask. And we hold on to sin like it's like a toy in the nursery and never, you know, those babies in the nursery, they have supernatural strength, man. They, they will hold on to a toy and you can, we don't do this, but you could swing them around like so far, they'll never let go. And I've seen believers hold on to sin like that. And just hold on with supernatural strength. And pastors and friends are swinging you around and swinging you around and you're all dizzy and you're all messed up, but you won't let go. And that's how the circumstances of life are. They get you dizzy. You lose your equilibrium. You don't understand how God could ever use this. And yet God is getting you. He's asking you, release, let it go. Reach out. Trust me. Deal with the sin so it doesn't have to find you out. Deal with it. I shared the, uh, the vision that the Lord gave me today of that cup overflowing with water. And then I also saw another cup that was not overflowing with water, but all these little things were taking the attention away from it. And let that be a picture of your life today, especially you listening on the radio right now a picture of your life God has for you, the overflowing life where you could have it all, literally. You can have it all in Christ. 
I know that's a big deal in the world today. You can have it all. Yeah, you can have it all in Christ. He has a great life available to you. You can have it all, church. You can have it all. You can have more than all. You don't even know more than all yet. You can still have it in Christ. Jesus said, you ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. You ask anything in my name according to my will, it's yours. When our lives align up with Jesus, you can have it all. And so don't settle for what this world has to offer. Don't settle for the vain philosophies of this world. Don't settle for the way this world operates. Give yourself to the Lord and don't live a life where your sin will find you out. And today, I imagine and I sense that the Holy Spirit has revealed some things to bring you to himself. And I invite you to follow Jesus today with your life. Believers, I'm not gonna give you some call for rededication or anything. I'm just gonna ask you, lay it aside and follow the Lord. Lay it aside. You need to confess something, confess it. I think it was D.L. Moody that said, he likes to keep short accounts, keep short accounts. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Well, you're the one I wanna speak to. I want you to know that you can have it all. That God, your creator is calling you to himself. You can live the abundant life, the age abiding life, a life that transcends the pains and problems of this temporary life that the Bible describes like vapor and like grass that's cut down. Like the Bible describes life as so transient and temporary, and yet he offers an abundant life. And so God, we pray today that we could live the abundant life in you, Lord, that we could rise to the occasion of living that exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask life. Some today, I just, I believe they need to start asking again by faith. Some need to be thinking again by faith. They, they need to even be praying about an overflowing cup, claiming the promise that if we come to you out of our innermost being will come rivers of living water, torrents of living water. We want that in our lives, Lord. We want that for the sake of our kids and our grandkids and our friends and our family and our church and our community. Such great tragedy and pain. And if you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I wanna follow Jesus. I want to come to God like you described it. Would you just stand to your feet today? Cause I wanna pray with you. This would be for someone that's never followed Jesus, never prayed to receive Jesus in your life before. You know who you are and you know what God's been doing with you, just like these brothers. Like it's easier not to talk about sin and it's easier not to talk about these things. I know, but it's harder to live life that way. And just fearful, like, you know, but you don't know, Ed, what I've done. You're right. But I don't save you but you don't understand that there might be great consequences. You're right. But God can even show mercy in that and help you. But it's not gonna happen. You have a much harder life apart from Christ. So today, if that's you, would you stand to your feet? I'd like to pray with you. I wanna give you a point in time in your life where you can say, that's the day I was born again, the day that I followed Jesus. 
the day where I obeyed the Bible. You don't even know the Bible yet, but I'm telling you, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you know that part of the Bible now. You know the part of the Bible that says that God loves you. He sent his only begotten son to die for you. You go, but Adam, I've never heard that before. Here's how you heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You have a God that's ready to take care of your life, to feed you and clothe you and care for you and protect you and guard you. And you say, but Ed, I never heard it that way before. You've heard it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Those are not just plaques on the wall. They're truths about God, the ever-living, everlasting God. And just for the sake of those perhaps watching in or listening downstairs, um, Maybe on the radio, I want to pray. I want to help you pray to receive the Lord. And then you could call us, tell us you receive the Lord or text us. Go to our website. We want to stay connected with you wherever you are. Seated or standing, you could talk to God and you could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. And I believe... He rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I want to follow him all the days of my life and understand your love, God, and learn how to live like Joseph or these men and women in the Bible. I want to learn. I want to know that all things are working together for the good for me. I want to have real hope. I want what that man said. I want to have it all. And God, I just pray for anyone listening, near or far. It's just such a convicting chapter. We could be so like Jacob, everything's against me. So like the brothers, oh, everything. And we could be like, we could be like Joseph and just endure it all. And then we're out at the palace. We can be like these men. And we just want, Lord, to be more like Christ. That's our desire. So bless your church tonight. Lord, Strengthen us that we might be able to move forward by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.